This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Do you want to die, Sydney? It's your turn to scream, asshole. From the streets of Woodsboro. Back to the streets of Woodsboro. We are Halloweenies. Happy Halloween, trick-or-treaters, dreamers, campers, and suspects. Welcome back to another episode of Halloweenies, presented by the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. I'm your host, Michael Myers Rothman, and today we're speaking to a real host with the most. You guessed it, Joe Bob Briggs. A couple weeks ago, my fellow co-host, Mike Vanderbilt, and I hopped on the phone with a genre legend. We jibber-jabbered about, oh God, everything under the sun. The state of horror, the way everyone calls everything a masterpiece, the lack of context in any discussion online, you know, the shit that drives us nuts on a day-to-day basis. But really, we wanted to know what Joe Bob thought on Scream and the Scream franchise, and well, he delivered. He digressed on the seismic impact the film had on the genre, but particularly the slasher genre. He also weighed in on season three of Shudder's The Last Drive-In and teased some summer spaces soirees <laughs> sorry twist the tongue coming up around the bend and can you believe it it's already summer god my skin can't take it but look that's for me to worry about and you to ignore so sit back grab a cold one maybe even a lone star and enjoy the show hey everybody have you heard Hello. Hello, Michael. Yes. Uh, Joe Bob Briggs. Hey, this is Mike Rothman, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Vanderbilt. Hi there. How are you? Fine. I didn't catch the second name. It's uh, Mike Vanderbilt. Mike. Oh, two Mike? Uh, yeah. It'll be easy. It'll make it real easy <laughs> Mike, on you. Mike and Mike? Okay. Yeah. So which voice is Mike and which voice is Mike? <laughs> I'm Mike. And I'm Mike. Yeah, I'm on the mic. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, first off, I got to kick it off by just, you know, obviously saying congratulations on your Chainsaw Award from last night, which out of all the categories, I felt like that was pretty much the toughest one, really up in the air about what I thought was going to be a winner. Any thoughts on the win? Were you surprised at the at the win? 
Yeah, I was surprised. You know what I was most surprised by? It's it was actually a good award. You know, yeah. <laughs> they give you a plastic <laughs> statue. You usually get a little plastic statue, you know, that's like worth about two dollars and ninety nine cents. And this was this was like a huge, you know, fancy sculpture thing. It was uh, it was very nice to win. I nonfiction sounds like something in a book contest. It does. But yeah. um <laughs> but I guess it means I was up against the documentaries. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, the the award was to the show. It wasn't it wasn't to me personally. It was it was to the whole show. So oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was it was So you guys will just round robin the award. It'll go from everybody's mantle for a couple months <laughs> yeah. at a time. I think you know what? I think it'll go straight to the set. It's that cool. <laughs> we'll just leave it on the set. But I'm just happy that Fangoria is still with us, you know? Mm-hmm. Fangoria has had a rough 15 years or so. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just happy that they're thriving and healthy. It's a hell of a way to kick off your third season too. I mean, it's kind of perfect timing. It's like the best advertising <laughs> to, to align yeah. in one weekend. Terrific, uh, terrific films on uh, Friday night's episode. Two of my personal favorites. Mother's Day really? is one of my, one of, Mother's Day is one of my all timers. I love that film. Really? Are you one of these people that claims to know the plot of House by the Cemetery? And what it all means? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I was so it was so great watching you kind of put the needles to Eli Roth and uh, tell me what really happens here because I felt the same way about Italian cinema. And by the way, I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to you know push him too far. But did you notice he never really answered? I, yes. I, I, would, put, <laughs> I would say. All right, Eli, what about this part where, you know, she's mopping up the blood on the floor and she comes in and asks about coffee and they just have coffee. And and he says, well, coffee is so important. And he just makes a joke. <laughs> and so I was like, Eli, I want you to defend your movie. But, but well, coffee is that important yeah. in Italy. You know that. We all know that. That, that is true. That is true. If you, if you, uh, I don't know how deep into the weeds you want to get on this, but if you, if you read the interviews with people like the screenwriters mm-hmm. who wrote these movies, uh, like Ernesto Gastaldi, for example, is probably the best one of all. They were really trying. They were really trying. <laughs> and they were, they were really trying to make their movies make sense. And when they don't make sense, you think it's something that the director did to the script. And and so when when you have like sort of a sort of a crazy quilt of illogic like you have in House by the Cemetery, you wonder what what happened. You know, it was written by two of the top screenwriters in Italy. Something happened. You know, something <laughs> bad happened in that script. Nevertheless, it became a fan favorite for whatever reason, for for maybe the special effects. And some people say, well, you know that the the, the guy Freud Freudstein. Great name, great name. Yeah, right. <laughs> but Freudstein down there in the basement, who you finally see in the last ten minutes of the movie, they say, you know, people say, well, you know, he's such a great, such a great character. Really, I don't, I don't really see people dressing up like Freudstein. <laughs> yeah, no. At, uh, you know, here's Freddie, here's Michael, and oh, I'm doing Freudstein this year for Halloween. <laughs> the deep, so. the deep cuts, only the deepest cuts. 
I wonder if it's, yeah. I wonder if it gets so crazy just because he was popping out movies like left and right at that point, you know, I mean, they're, they're, in one year he has what, what, like three films under his name. I oh mean, yeah. Well, all of his best horror was done in about a two year period or three year period. And then, and then it gets, you know, it, it starts to decline starting with New York Ripper. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people who are fans of New York Ripper, but you know, it it starts to get you know, sort of lamer and lamer. But there was this thing going on that um, that Eli's aware of, and some other people are aware of, but is not talked about that much. And it, and it and it's this: when you when you evaluate these films, you have to realize it starts with the Jalo, and then the Jalo becomes the slasher, and then the slasher takes stuff from the Jalo, and then the Jalo, and then and then Italy decides you make. Italy was always about money. What, mm-hmm. Whatever made the most money, that's <laughs> right. what they were going to make. <laughs> and so when the slasher becomes a big deal, they say "fuck Jalo." <laughs> we're going to make, make slashers, and so they have all these writers who write Jalo. But they say, put more slash shit in there, you know? <laughs> and, so, and, so, and so after Halloween and Friday the 13th in Italy, they're trying to copy that. But they still have these writers who are trying to craft these suspense thriller type right. complicated plots. And so you get this weird kind of hybrid movie, which is very interesting. You know, but, but, uh, but anyway, I was trying to put a little bit of a dent into the worship of Italian films. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, there are people who say, oh, they were so much better than the American films. Really? Well, yeah. I mean, you can, you can pick one a year that was better. You know? Definitely. Well, I've said that I've noticed watching the show, you know, every week when it's on, is that you seem to get the most excited when it's older films, even if it's films that, like, The House by the Cemetery, which you, wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily classify as one of your favorites. But uh, it, is it because you like to get into the history of the filmmaking, or is it just the aesthetics of that era that really do it for you, which makes you love these movies? Well, absolutely. I do like to get into the history, but the the one of the intriguing things to me that, that we, we keep going back into is... The, the generational differences in the appreciation of these movies. Yeah. When these movies, they, I mean, Italian movies are, are a good example. When these came over from, from when these were exported, they weren't distributed in the United States by Paramount or Universal or 20th Century Fox. <laughs> right. They were distributed, they were distributed by Joseph Brenner and Roger Corman and Crown International. Oh, Crown International, one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, and these <laughs> these companies these companies played them off in drive-ins and grindhouses. Well, what did you need in drive-ins and grindhouses? You needed an exciting visual scene every five minutes. You know, mm-hmm. so you needed either nudity or gore for the most part. I mean, those were the two biggies. Uh, later it became action. You know, there was a lot, there was a lot of low budget action films where you had a lot of car chases and you had a lot of fist fights, but you needed constant, what would be considered lowbrow action. Mm -hmm. And that's why the films thrived. They were not, no one knew they were Italian. (laughs) If you, if you you went to 42nd street to watch one of these films, it had English names on it. 
you knew something was wrong with it because the dubbing was so bad. <laughs> for, years, for years, I thought that's what Franco Nero sounded like from Enter the Ninja. Like, I thought that was his honest-to-God voice. Yeah, you you may have uh, uh, you may have just thought it was you know a bad American filmmaker. Yeah, but nevertheless, when these things are evaluated by academics and the younger generation of critics, they need to take that into account. Mm-hmm. You know, as Roger Corman always says, film is a compromised art form. It is compromised by business. <laughs> you have to, you have to pay attention to the fifty percent of the creative process that was pure business, and that's especially true with horror films, with the older horror films. Mm-hmm. Even today, it's very interesting to see what a young filmmaker in their twenties who's working in genre. They'll say I'm working in genre. <laughs> they won't say I'm. <laughs> they won't say I'm making exploitation movies. But they'll say I'm working in genre, but I'm altering the genre conventions. Right. And the way they alter the genre convention is the girl keeps her bra on. <laughs> so my feeling is well see that's because you don't have to compete in the grindhouse Mm -hmm. you don't have to compete at the drive-in it's like if you really had to compete at the grindhouse that girl would be taking off her bra (laughs) (laughs) we're also in like such a strange era too where like I, i feel like so much context is dismissed you know i mean like information and pretty much all the classics are readily available at all our fingertips, right? I mean, like you could log in anywhere, yeah. and find any movie and pretty much all the information around it. And yet I also, I just so often feel like the discourse dismisses it. You know, like we, we hear like every other day, like, oh, this is a, a masterpiece or this is the first time it's been done. Or, you know, like finally X, Y, and Z is getting their due. And it's like, well, you know, go back 40 years and this stuff was happening, you know, and it just. Oh, Absolutely. So weird how that's happening right now. And it's it's aggravating to be honest with you. But I mean Yeah, I mean there aren't there aren't any firsts in movies. All of the firsts <laughs> yeah. were done by about nineteen twenty, you know. Right. E. W. Griffith did half of them. You know, yeah. and then and then every every time they say, you know, here's a new wave, well no, that's an old wave. It's mm-hmm. just dressed up in modern language, you know. There are always new things to do, but you can't go outside the conventions of the original cinema. Mm-hmm. You're, you're always going to need to have a great story and a great technician. The story is the screenwriter, and the technician is the director, and to a lesser extent, the editor. And often today, the director and the editor are the same person. Yeah. But no, ma- no matter what someone says they're doing... If the story doesn't deliver on what uh, uh, the story has to deliver on something satisfying, mm-hmm. it has to deliver on it in a way that's unexpected. Yeah. In other words, you have to get to the you have to get to where we think we're going, but in an unexpected way. And when you do that, you win. And that's always been the rules. <laughs> That's a good. That's a good lead-in. Like so, on the on the podcast, we cover each season. We cover uh, a franchise, a horror franchise. We've done Halloween. We've done Elm Street. We've done Friday the Thirteenth. And this year, we're covering the Scream franchise. Now, uh-huh. that that came around the '90s, and that was right. part of a what was considered a new wave 
of horror. Uh, we're discussing the films that influenced the series. I was just kind of curious, your uh, thoughts on Scream and uh, what you think are the greatest influences on the series, which ones we should be covering, and if there's maybe any proto-Scream meta, uh, you know, to use a more like genre, meta yeah. influences on, on that series. To, to answer the first part of your question, the movie Scream is the conclusion of the slasher era. Because after that, there are no surprises in the slasher film. It mm -hmm. it it goes over all the rules, and, yeah. you know, to a ridiculous extent, and and makes fun of itself. It's it's the first meta slasher, okay? And so that's the end of the slasher. You can't you can't do a straight ahead slasher anymore. I mean, you can you can, but you can't really you know break new ground in the slasher film. I mean, you you, you could say well. Hatchet breaks new ground. Okay, but it breaks new ground not in the big way that Friday the 13th did or Halloween did or whatever. And the influences on it were the parodies of the slasher. There were there were less lesser parodies prior <laughs> to Scream. And probably the influence of people like me who were making fun of the slasher. <laughs> you know? and I was I wasn't the only one, but you know the drive-in totals are sort of right. here's what's in a slasher, you know, <laughs> and so and so there's you're building up this audience that knows too much, and so you end up with Scream, which was just done by a master filmmaker saying, okay, we know the jig is up. Here, here's, here, here's what happens when the jig is up, you know? And so I think that's where Scream comes from. Scream comes from, you know, self-awareness about what the slasher has become. And then after, after Scream, you have, you know, increasingly silly, you know, you have scary movie. <laughs> you, have, right. you, you, yeah. you have you you just take you just take every i mean as recently as last year there was a picture that i had a cameo in called scare package which was the whole movie was uh i don't know if you guys saw it but it was yes, we did. on your show as a matter of fact <laughs> yeah on my show okay it was uh it was seven uh shorts it was basically an anthology film but the framing story was once again here uh it was all about the tropes you know the the slasher tropes and how how nerds at a video store know all the slasher tropes and try to out nerd one another and so <laughs> that's the legacy of scream you know and and so there's they're still doing it today i guess the slasher will always be with us yeah. <laughs> you know for better or worse uh, yeah <laughs> You you read uh, stuff on the internet where people are talking about the final girl, mm -hmm. but the people who are talking about the final girl don't know where that comes from. You know, it comes from a very academic book by Carol Clover uh, in the late 80s called Men, Women, and Chainsaws, where she described the final girl. Now, what they don't understand about what, what she was describing is she was describing a gender switch that happens in the slasher where whereby the the adolescent male audience becomes female starts out male and becomes female uh, halfway through the movie and the final girl is who they live through uh, the final moments of the movie and so the final girl is treated today as this either a symbol of 
feminism mm -hmm. or a symbol of what's wrong with horror films, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that they only have the final girl. They kill off all the other girls so that they'll have one final girl. But what she was describing was there is some cultural myth deep in our subconscious, you know, that's transgender. But the killer is transgender, and the final girl is transgender. Everyone is transgender. So it's actually a very pro the slasher is very progressive, <laughs> very <laughs> progressive uh, movie. It just started in our. It, it's a. It, it appeals to our subconscious, you know, at a subconscious level, and so we don't recognize it, you know. Right. And yeah. and people who haven't really studied it or looked at it or don't know how movies work and at what <laughs> level of our consciousness they work at, take that term, the final girl, and use it to pursue some political thing. But anyway, the, the, the Scream started all kinds of stuff is what, yeah. I'm, is what I guess right. I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, even just looking back now, you know, in, in December 1996, I mean, did you feel that ripple effect when it came out or did you feel like it was something that you didn't really get its influence until like a few years later? Because I mean, I, in hindsight, it kind of feels like the scream, it, it kind of feels like scream is almost like the grunge explosion in a way where it, like it started out from an earnest place of like, okay, well, we're going to make, you know, we're going to take all our influences. We're going to make something like earnest with it. Mm -hmm. And then it became something that was over corporatized where like it, it, it took horror into another blockbuster level that really kind of was unprecedented in a, in a certain way. And in the same way that grunge became the sort of radio alternative that was a total juxtaposition of what the actual alternative movement of that time was, you know? Well, you have to, you have to remember that the slasher had already petered out. When you're making mm -hmm. Silent Night, Deadly Night 5 with Mickey <laughs> yeah, Rooney. That's, that's the best one. Though. To be fair, that's the best sequel. <laughs> it is. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, if, if you look at, pick, pick a year, like pick a year like 1992 and count the number of, sequels above oh, the number three, yeah. you know, it's like three, three and above, you know, and see, and see what was going on with the slasher era. And you'll see that there were, there was, there were no new ideas coming into that genre mm -hmm. or that subgenre. And so scream is sort of Wes Craven saying, okay, it's over. Let's, let's define, you know, I was there at the beginning and by God, I'm going to be there at the end. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, e even the franchises that you can say are beholden to the slasher era, like Hostel mm -hmm. or Saw, they go in a new direction. They don't have the same. I mean, you could say you could say maybe Cabin Fever is an original take on the old tropes, right. you know. But mm -hmm. but for the most part, unless you are a guy like Eli Roth who's deliberately copying old movies, mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't have any real advancement of the ideas in the slasher. They've all been put on film. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like the Western, you know, it's like you get yeah. to a point where you've done every Western. Yeah. And every once in a while you have something come along like Silverado or Tombstone, you know, but it's but it's a one-off, you mm -hmm. know. The golden age when there were fifty westerns a year, a hundred westerns a year, that's gone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and the, you could say the same for what Scream did to the slasher. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're not going to have another year where we have 30 slashers come out. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The good old days. Uh, what's a subgenre <laughs> yeah. that you think is ripe for uh, horror filmmakers right now? You know, with the slasher all but dead. Like, is there anything that you think we should see more of, or that we you think we will be seeing more of? Despite the fact that we have more interest in horror than we've ever had in history, right. we're kind of in a decadent period because horror finally won the Academy Award, mm-hmm. Shape of Water, okay? But but it was a, it was a rubber suit creature movie. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, it was an homage to rubber suit creatures. And, 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 and so it was acceptable because all the people who originally hated Creature from the Black Lagoon are dead. And so <laughs> and so now it's a beloved subgenre from 19 fucking 52 or whatever, you know. It's like you know, it's, it's like yeah, okay, you can finally do that one, you know. The academy will vote for you if you do that one, you know. But uh as far as new things, I think you know, I, I don't know if you noticed but Eli Roth was a little bit hesitant to talk very much about Hostel, but I think Hostel created a new type of subgenre, and what he put in there was kind of politics. He put politics in there, and then we had Get Out, and there was more politics in there. And so if there's any direction that we're moving, it's sort of that that's the direction. But that's a dangerous direction, because if you put the politics too close to the surface, then people hate it. Yeah. yeah. And so and so you got to be really really good. It's like you said in that article about text versus subtext. Mhm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's Jordan Peele did it really well and then the remake of Black Christmas they did it really badly. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you have to you have to really be a skillful filmmaker to go in that direction. What I'm waiting for is you know, horror has always been a place where you explore the guilty secrets of our subconscious that you can't really you can't really deal on a real level. And so you put it in a horror film. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's been true since, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, everything from the beginning. And so what I'm waiting is, is what I'm waiting for is the filmmaker who does that in a very visceral way that goes against the culture, you know, that mm-hmm. goes against the the conventional wisdom. Right. And I can't really name the guy who would be doing that right now. There are a lot of guys at the, you know, ultra low budget level who, who try weird stuff. I hope they're not being cut off from larger budgets by, you know, the five big companies that control streaming because, <laughs> you know, that's sort of, you know, we're moving into this world where nobody has any physical media and so they can cut you off at the knees yep. by just like <laughs> right. not making you available for streaming. That's really my greatest fear is that 
the truly rebellious subgenres or politically incorrect subgenres get censored by simply not because not because anybody says oh, I hate this I despise it you know but because it's controversial mm-hmm. if you're the corporate guy you go you know what we we would just have an easier life if that movie didn't exist and yeah. so okay take that off the list and it just goes you know yes. just overnight it's just it's just gone sounds familiar sounds like the mpaa <laughs> in the 80s sounds like tipper gore in the yeah. 80s like we've seen this all before right but it doesn't mean it does it's not yeah. there but but it's a little bit different now because tipper gore really believed she was really a moralist. She was a moralizer. Right. And to a certain extent, Jack Valenti was a moralizer. He was mm-hmm. trying to protect Hollywood from from all these evil things that were going <laughs> on in society. You know, now we're talking about just accounting. Yeah, you know, just, exactly. It's just, just, it's just guys with with green eye shades, you know, in a <laughs> in a tall black building in North Hollywood somewhere, who are saying, you know what? Uh, we're looking at the social media numbers on the people mm-hmm. who say this movie has got this, too much of this in it. You know, I think we should just cut that off because it's affecting our sales over here on the other side. <laughs> and so the movie just doesn't find a home. It just doesn't find a place to live where it's widely accessible. Right. Yeah. No, it's definitely a fear. I mean, you can you can still go to the TerrorCon in Lawrence, Kansas, and sell individual DVDs at your table. You know, oh. so, but, but you just won't have a streaming contract. Yeah, and that's yeah. where all the action is these days. It's the new video store. Well, and that's and that's the it's like yeah. this false illusion that I, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I don't think anyone's really contending with that yet, just because there's so much out there. You know, like everyone's like, oh, there's so much content. But at some point, it is going to be filtered down. And I mean, it already is happening. I mean, we're we're just not, I mean, just because it launches another streaming network next week or, you know, next month brings another one. Like, if you look closely, they are all, you know, being owned by the bigger corporations at this point where it's literally just going to become cable network again with just the, with even more of a shorter, you know, funneling stream, which yeah. is scary. Scary for sure. You know, one thing. One thing. I'm I'm doing a film festival this summer. We'll see if I do a second year of it. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But it's called it's called Mutant Fest, and yeah. and it's devoted to the ultra low budget filmmaker who has to work outside the financial systems of New York, L.A., London. That's at the Great Mahong Drive-In, right? <laughs> That's at the Mahoning Driving, yeah, in Lahighton, <laughs> Lahighton, Pennsylvania. Uh, translation: Middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> it's like not not many people know that the Appalachians go all the way up into Pennsylvania, but but this is the Appalachian part of Pennsylvania, and uh, and so uh, you know it's in this valley between a bunch of mountains and. The idea is these guys have no place. You know, I talk to these guys. They've they've they spent five years working on their passion project, and they finally get it finished. And they say, "Okay, what are you going to do with it?" Well, right now it's on Amazon. You know, I say, yeah. you gave it. You gave it to fucking Amazon. Yeah. You know, it's like, and it's like, what, what, what do you, you get a nickel every time 9,000 people watch it? Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like, what, why did you do that? Why did you do that? You know, get it back, take it back. You know? <laughs> and so, and so part of the purpose of this festival is to start developing networks whereby 
politically incorrect films or films that don't have the production values of the major films, we can figure out distribution systems that bypass. We're essentially going to try to try to create a digital grindhouse world. I love it. So that in the future, there will be a place for the outlaw rebel filmmaker. I love that. I love yeah. that. Of course. I mean, Mike, you're running your own drive-in too. I, I am running my drive. I am running a drive-in in a bar parking lot right now. That is that is 100 true. Yeah. Where's the Where's the drive-in? It's in a suburb of Chicago called Blue Island, Illinois. Okay. We put up a screen to because I had worked with them. You You've done work with the Music Box Theater. I did work with them on there. I was part of the programming team for the Music Box of Horrors drive-in, and then we built one in the bar parking lot where I tend bar at. And we show movies every weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Oh, great. And it was to survive during COVID because we couldn't have people in the bar, but we could have people order drinks in the bar and go drink in their car, which, of course, is 100% safe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Get them tanked up right before before the last last reel. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, as a matter of fact, Sven Gooley and I are going to do a, a show at the Music Box as soon as it's safe for old farts to come out. <laughs> oh, and awesome. so, <laughs> and so uh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, the Music Box did that show. They did a drive in show, and I did a, a video intro for it. I hate video intros. I, <laughs> I hate them. I hate, to, I hate talking to my phone. Thank you for doing that, first guy. I know exactly which movie it was because it's one of my personal favorites. It's uh, Jack, Jackie Kong's The Being. The Being, yeah. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Being, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I did, so I did the drive in totals on it for the. For, for that for the music box temporary drive-in when uh i i hope they're open again we're doing yeah. another back they're doing, and a, they're doing yeah. another run we're I doing think. another drive-in weekend at the end of the month with halloween three a favorite yeah. of yours i know yeah i was gonna say uh, oh <laughs> god okay <laughs> uh, why mid- why are you doing that you're gonna pair it with house by the cemetery <laughs> and make it really painful can you please do an intro for that one if we do do that? <laughs> but then we're doing uh, Midsommar and Alucarda. Uh-huh. And then okay. Friday the 13th Part 3 and Sleepaway Camp. Oh, okay. Sleepaway Camp. I love Sleepaway Camp. Same here. Talk about a movie that was ahead of its time. Oh, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, nobody nobody talks about the fact that we got all the guys. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no female nudity in the film. But there's all these, you know, tight butts and and, <laughs> and and skinny dipping on the part of the male counselors, you know. That's well, yeah, and something I always bring up about Angela is everybody who she kills absolutely deserves it. Oh, everybody 100%. gets what they deserve yeah. in that yep. movie. Yep, that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Felissa Rose. Mangled dick expert. <laughs> she's our she's our official mangled dick expert at, at the last drive-in. Yes, she is. Well, speaking of guests, you know, you, you mentioned Eli Roth a bunch and just killed it in this uh, this season premiere. Were you surprised at how deep he went into his knowledge, or did you have an idea of how? Oh no, I was I was not surprised. I mean, Eli goes on tangent after tangent after tangent, but you let him go because because yeah. every tangent. No matter how unrelated to the original question, <laughs> has has a value in itself. So no, I, I was I was very prepared to let him talk. I just tried to guide him 
towards uh, the things I really wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And my favorite part of the show, I wasn't talking at all. It's when he explained that thing about why they don't do sync sound in uh, Italy. Uh, you know, going back to the time of Mussolini, when you're not allowed <laughs> to record sound on the set of a movie, and then how that got translated into the way they make movies today. I mean, he has he he he, he is as nerdy about this stuff as I am. And I think the reason both of us are are this nerdy is because up until very recently, there was not a whole lot of information on these films that we love. And so you had to be a sort of, you know, library rat and a detective in order to find out a lot of this stuff. I mean, we had, back when I was at TNT, we would sometimes show movies. All we had was the name of the director. We didn't know who he was or where he, where he was from or, or where he was now. <laughs> you know, it would be some guy from Iran or something. We didn't know if he was back in Iran or if we could find him in L.A. or or what. And so we relied a lot on just phone calls, mm-hmm. you know. Somebody worked on the crew. Who Who is this guy? Uh, where did this movie come from? Where was it filmed? Because sometimes they wouldn't tell you where right. it was filmed, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we've come a long way. Now, now we're in the world of too much information <laughs> oh and too much, wrong too, inf- much. too much wrong information, you know? There's this thing of the plausible falsehood. <laughs> so, so something about a movie that sounds sort of plausible but is totally untrue <laughs> gets, right. gets gets on the web and gets repeated a thousand times because it's a cool fact yep. you know and so and so by being repeated a thousand times it becomes true oh yeah well it's, and that's kind of the same way with discourse too i mean like everything's a masterpiece right like every week you hear about another movie that you might yeah. have thought was like ah, eh, that was pretty good no it's a masterpiece and everyone's going to say it's and then <laughs> then it becomes part of this like cultural lexicon where it's like, well, actually the discourse has changed around that. You know, like when we mentioned Halloween three and that used to be like a kind of fringe movie, you're like, ah, yeah, it's a sequel that doesn't have Michael Myers. Now it's like, oh, that's a, it's a masterpiece. It's one of the best. It's the, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I like the movie, but at the same time, like the point, like there's so many of those now, like every film that you maybe even film in 2005 that you're like, yeah, that was forgettable. Now it's a masterpiece. Somebody wrote an op-ed. <laughs> I know, can't tell take. you how many. I can't tell you how many interviews I've done, or interviews I've read, or interviews I've watched, where they say, you know, it's Quentin Tarantino's favorite movie. Yeah, yeah, and, then, exactly. and you think and you think you think they're you think they're bullshitting you, and then you you find some reference somewhere where Quentin Tarantino actually said it was his favorite movie. But he's he's he said at least four hundred different movies are his favorite movie. Yeah, yeah. For the record, his favorite Friday the Thirteenth movie is Part Five. Is the rumor that I heard. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That, no joke. New beginning. Oh my lord. Yeah. That's a shocking. That's a shocking one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think we're about, we're running out of time, but we have one question. It actually has the links with Friday the 13th. Mike, you had a question that was uh, (laughs) set up on, I'm setting you up. I'm teeing you up for this one. So so. on on our show, on our show last (laughs) season, when we we discussed the Friday the 13th films, we would compare each one to Martin Scorsese's The Irishman and decide which movie, (laughs) which movie accomplishes its goals better. Almost all of them, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I think you just answered our question. Do you think any of the Friday the Thirteenth films are better than The Irishman? Yes, I, I was not a fan of The Irishman. So, so yeah. But I mean, I, I to tell you the truth, I get the Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween numbers mixed up because 
I watched them when they came out, right. you know, and so and so you don't remember from one year to the next exactly who was in which one. But I seem to remember Friday the Thirteenth Four being the best one. That's the I always call that one the quintessential Friday yeah. the Thirteenth movie. Yeah, and then they set up four. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they set up four for kind of a whole new way to go in five and then but they never went that way right exactly right that, yeah yeah, uh, yeah you remember you got it you got it you got it yeah yeah <laughs> how about that you know uh, uh, star of a martin scorsese film <laughs> what uh has proven that the, the friday the 13th is better than <laughs> oh, i think we could i think that's the official closing of the bit no, uh, don't get me wrong I'm a, I'm a big martin i'm a big martin scorsese fan i've i've actually had the opportunity to talk exploitation movies with with scorsese oh wow the the first question he asked me is what's the best women in prison and, <laughs> and i said I'm i said I, I, I didn't know what the correct answer was so i said chained heat and he says i think you might be right <laughs> so, i'm willing to agree I, with that too i think chained heat goes amongst the top of the women in prison place and uh and but then his next question was would you agree that the women in prison movie is a genre of its own and not a subgenre of the prison movie <laughs> And I said, you are absolutely right, Mr. Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to say? Nah, no, Marty, no. you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> come on now. I am, a big fan, I am a big fan of Boxcar Bertha, too. Boxcar Bertha still sits as one of my top 10 Scorsese films. Yeah, I was going to say that. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you. I asked him what he thought of the Honeymoon Killers. Because he was hired to uh, direct the Honeymoon Killers and fired after one week. And so I said, how do you think the Honeymoon Killers came out? And he said, I've never been able to watch it. Oh, I wow. said, really? And, and he, said, he said, I didn't work for three years. I said, well, I, I, hope they, I hope they realized their mistake later. And he says, no, they were absolutely right to fire me. And I said, why? <laughs> and he said, and he said he said, because I was shooting long tracking shots with no coverage, just like I do today. <laughs> and he says, they looked at it and they said, there's no coverage. There's no coverage. There's no coverage. Kept asking me for coverage. And I was not giving them enough coverage. And they were absolutely right to fire me. And so I said, wow. He says, but then, he says, but then when I made Boxcar Bertha, I storyboarded everything living in fear of the day Roger Corman would come to the set. <laughs> and and uh, he finally did come to the set. We were in Arkansas. And he finally did come to the set, and he stayed about two hours, and he looked at the storyboards, and he says, very good, very good. That's fine. And he left. And he said, that I was so relieved. Vindicated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we, need, yeah. we need a new Roger Corman now more than ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Uh, you, know, you know, Roger has three... Roger is 95, just turned 95, and has three movies in active development. (laughs) (laughs) This doesn't stop. But you're right that the the role of the aggressive exploitation producer, it it seems, see, where did all those guys go? Where did they go? I I don't know, because I, I, I say to myself, like, why can't we just have somebody say, all right, I'll make this script for you. I'll give you this much money, but you have to shoot it in five days and it'll have killer poster art and that'll be it. And I want three naked girls in it and I want, <laughs> and I want one car chase, yeah. you know, and he, he would say, I mean, 
I, uh, the drive-in totals come from my conversations with Roger Corman. And Roger, Roger Corman used to say, as far as above-the-waist <laughs> female nudity goes, you need three girls, the lead and then two other girls. The lead should be naked from the waist up in two scenes, one near the beginning of the film and one after the halfway point. The other two girls should be naked one time each. If you have these four scenes, the viewer will think that he has seen a lot more than he has actually seen. <laughs> He's so savvy and like has it down to his science. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I am an advocate for more nudity in 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 horror movies. Bring it back. Yeah, yeah. yeah and and I mean, Darcy's always on my case, uh, saying, uh, you know, you should have just as much male nudity. That's fine with me. Fair, that's totally. that's totally fine with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just I feel like we're still in that runoff of like the puritanical early aughts. Oh my god! It's just like uh, we're like it's scandalous. Well, yeah, it's yeah. Really from scandalous. 1620 till now. Yeah, the puritanical. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. Touche. Touche. Like, it keeps looking like it's gonna get better, and then it just gets worse. It nah, it just like. keeps pivoting. Just keeps pivoting yeah. away. We go. We go back to our roots, which is great. Uh, god bless America. Well, Joe Bob, thank you so much for talking to us. This has been just All a- right. Thank you, guys. I can't this wait to watch the rest of the season. It truly Talk was soon. a pleasure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> See you soon. All right. Bye. Well, that wraps up today. As you already know, Joe Bob is keeping us entertained every Friday night on Shudder with The Last Drive-In. Most of us Halloweenies live tweet during all those movies, so uh, be sure to follow us uh, for all added fun, uh, sensational fun. I think that's what uh, Milo says on the cover of the VHS version of The Mask. Uh, anyway, <laughs> as for what's next, uh, good question. Uh, as I said before, we're on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, which is incredibly exciting for us because we're, uh, we're with lots of our pals, uh, Trace and Joe of the Horror Queers. Uh, Megan Navarro, who was just on our uh, 28 Days Later podcast uh, episode on the rental. Uh, She does her own podcast, Bloody Disgusting Podcast. So you'll definitely be seeing a lot of crossover episodes down the road. Uh, But coming up very soon is our deep dive on Scream 2, which is incredibly exciting because it's been since February that we've uh, been walking around Woodsboro. But we're not going to be at Woodsboro this time. No, 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 no. Uh, we are going to be at Windsor College, where I'm going to be talking about Timothy Oliphant. I think I said the right name right. I always say Oliphant. Timothy Elephant. No, Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> uh, I'm really excited because it's a personal favorite of mine. I think it's the best of the franchise, but we'll debate that on our long, lengthy episode. Uh, but that's not all. Uh, over on our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Halloweenies pod. We're going to be delivering a commentary track for A Nightmare on Elm Street for Mother's Day. How sweet, huh? It seemed fitting. And then we'll also be doing a rental deep dive on The Descent. Getting claustrophobia already. Uh, (laughs) uh, But for now, uh, don't forget to return your videotapes. Be sure to be kind and rewind. And rest assured, we'll be right back. Bye.
this is the end of our show. For now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more. <laughs>